Welcome to BIV Today, our weekly business podcast from Business in Vancouver and BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Today on the show, Kate Brandt, Google Sustainability Officer. But first, mark your calendars. We have a number of BIV events coming up. More information on all of them is available at BIV.com slash events. Artificial intelligence isn't new, it's actually decades old, but we are now getting a glimpse of its capability to reshape the way we learn, the way we communicate, the way we do business. The AI opportunity also raises important ethical questions and concerns on things such as how AI will help or hurt labor markets, its impact on the development of intellectual property, and how human behavior will adapt to artificial intelligence developments. On February 27th, BIV's expert panel will examine how AI can improve businesses in serving, automating, marketing, and managing. You won't want to miss. I'm looking forward to moderating the discussion. More details available at BIV.com events. Business in Vancouver is once again recognizing BC's most outstanding businesswomen in private or public sector organizations. Join us to celebrate the Influential Women in Business Awards March 6th at the Fairmont Waterfront Hotel. For more information, visit BIV.com slash IWIB for Influential Women in Business. You can also find the details at BIV.com slash events. My guest today is Kate Brandt, Google's Sustainability Officer. She was in Vancouver this month to deliver a keynote speech at the Globe 2020 Summit. In 2014, Kate worked in the Obama White House as the first Federal Chief Sustainability Officer. She has received the Distinguished Public Service Award, the highest award given by the U.S. Navy to a civilian for her work in helping the Navy go green, and she is widely recognized as a top leader in sustainability. Kate, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me in studio. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I have a lot to talk about, but I've heard you talk about wanting to create a circular Google in a sustainable world. Tell me a little bit about Google's vision when it comes to sustainability. Yes. Oh, circular economy, one of my favorite topics. So last year in June of 2019, we set our first global goal for Google around the circular economy, which is that we want to maximize the reuse of finite resources across our operations, products, and supply chains, and we want to enable others to do the same. Um, So that is our vision, and we really look at circular economy as being about three core principles, designing out waste, keeping products and materials in use, and enabling safe chemistry and healthy materials. And that last part really being about if we're going to be endlessly cycling materials back into the system, we need to know that they're safe for people and the planet. Of course. Now, I think about the size and scale of Google. How difficult is it to create a movement like this and actually implement some new sustainability goals? Yeah. So, you know, at Google, sustainability has really been a core value since our founding, and it's very much grown up within the business. So when we take on new initiatives like our circular Google strategy, I think there's a lot of appetite for it, and we always really take it on with the spirit of innovation. So one of the areas um, where we have been doing this for quite some time is in our data centers. So, you know, Google's data centers are very much kind of at the heart of our operations. We have 16 data centers around the world, and they're just filled with row of row of servers. And what we've done is really taken circular economy at scale to how we manage those servers. So rather than just you use them and they're done, they get recycled, thrown away, we've really turned that model on its head 
and we use components from old servers to repair machines that might be on the data center floor. We have a whole program where we pull servers off the floor and remanufacture them so we can keep a lot of the components in place, but just upgrade what needs to be upgraded. Then we have a program where we can wipe clean components like hard drives and then sell them on secondary markets. And we did that with about 3.5 million units last year. And then whatever is left over gets recycled. So that for us has been a great way to really look at like, what does this really mean inside of our operations, keeping products and materials in use? Um, and also it has a really strong business case. And you know, we like to talk about the economy and circular economy. And so for us, we're avoiding hundreds of millions of dollars a year by doing this. How difficult or easy is it to get your hands on the products that you need to implement, say, recycled materials? Is it a big challenge or is it easier than we might actually think it is? Yeah, so in the case of the servers, it's a bit more of a closed system for us, so that's a little bit easier. But when we look at our consumer hardware, where we are using recycled materials, um, there it requires more partnership. But we've had a lot of success in that space. So um, in October, when we announced our whole 2019 line of products, all the Google Nest products, so that's the thermostat and all the speakers, everything in your home, those are all now made with recycled content plastic. And we have a goal that we've set to get there in all of our devices by 2022. But that obviously requires more partnership. And we also really want to play a role in sending an advanced signal so that this can become much more common in lots of different products. You know, the idea of having a CSR policy at a company, it's not necessarily new, but do you think that how much you've talked about climate change over the last number of years, has it given new meaning and purpose to what companies are actually trying to do with their corporate social responsibility, sustainability policies? Yeah, I think we've seen a really interesting evolution in this space of going from sort of starting with more compliance, just kind of following the rules, um, to more philanthropy, thinking about how can you give back, to what does this really mean for a company's operations, for their supply chain. And now today, I think we're getting to this sort of next level of maturity, which is really about what does it mean for the business? How do you bake sustainability into the core product offering? How do you bake sustainability into the core of the business strategy? And I think that's really this moment that we're now in. Do you find that it's mattering more to consumers as well? Absolutely. I think we've seen, for me, you know, having worked in the space for a long time, there was something about 2019 where I think so many more people woke up to this issue. I think part of it was the science really broke through for the first time. You know, the UN issued a report at the end of 2018 that at that time said, basically, we have 12 years left or we will have irreversibly damaged our, you know, our planet. I think that really broke through for people and also just the increase in extreme weather, wildfires in California and Australia and elsewhere where flooding, drought, I think it's become much more tangible for people. And I think that's really translated into consumer preference. I think now we're seeing many more people wondering, what can I do in my daily life? How do I make more sustainable choices? And we're really interested in giving them helpful information that, that enables people to do that. I have in my mind that image of the data servers upon data servers that you mentioned a little bit earlier. I'm curious, how important is data to building meaningful sustainability policies? We think the data is absolutely critical. I think there's a really meaningful role for technology and for analyzing data and bringing um, more intelligence to it. So I'm really passionate about the role of AI and machine learning and sustainability and actually going back to those data centers. An interesting example of where we've really experimented with this in Google's operations is 
So another big aspect of the data center is not only the servers, but we need to keep them cool. Because as we all know right. from our laptops, things get hot when you use them a lot. Electronics get hot. So a lot of the energy that's used in data centers is for cooling. And we, this is a great kind of Google story, but a young data center engineer, a friend of ours named Jim Gao, and he um, took some machine learning classes on the side. And he said, you know what, I think there might be an opportunity here to apply machine learning to drive even deeper energy efficiency in how we cool our data centers. So he started what we call a 20% project at Google. Anyone can work with their manager to set up a side project. So he started this 20% project. Fast forward to today, um, this has become a huge part of the way we operate our data centers. And so what, what we've done is taken sensor data, power, temperature, pump speeds, and then created an AI-powered efficiency recommendation system. And that's being deployed across our data center fleet, and we're getting a 30% increase in efficiency in that cooling system. And this is not some sort of old, rusty industrial system. This is like a very high-tech system, and we were still able to get that huge increase in efficiency. And so for me, why that's exciting is, yes, it enables us to continue to operate more efficiently, but also it points to the power that we have to utilize tools like machine learning to take data sets and then make them much more actionable. And of course, Google would have access to a lot of those tools, whereas, say, a small business owned by a mom and pop here in Vancouver may not. But I understand you partner with a lot of organizations, too. What are some examples of local partnerships where you've been able to share your technology with either businesses or agencies that maybe otherwise wouldn't have access to it? Yeah, so we actually have a great example from uh, right here in Vancouver, which is some really wonderful work that our team um, has done with Fisheries and Oceans Canada and the Rainforest Connection. Um, so this work is really looking at, as we know, in the Salish Sea, you know, which extends from here in Vancouver all the way down to Washington State in the U.S., um, there used to be thriving whale populations. But over the last many years, those populations have really dwindled, and we've seen this particular subspecies, the southern resident killer whales, there's only 73 of them left. So what we were able to do was to team up with this government agency as well as this NGO to use AI to better understand whales' patterns, how they're moving around. Um, so there's these 18 underwater microphones called hydrophones um, that the Canadian government manages in Victoria and Vancouver. And so we were able to take 1,800 hours of sound from those microphones and 68,000 location labels and teach a machine learning algorithm how to much better re read where the whales are. And so now there's a system in place where when a whale passes by one of those hydrophones, an alert is sent to the Canadian government and to Rainforest Connection. And then that can be used to identify whales that are sick or injured, to tell ships to stay away from certain areas, to keep whales safe, or even in the event of an oil spill, to help to move whales away from danger. So we're really hoping that this can help with conservation here in the area. Well, that's pretty amazing. In your work with governments at different levels, businesses, not-for-profits, what do you hear from them in terms of what they could use from a company like Google, whether it be leadership or technology or something else. Yeah. Um, what we often, you know, the kind of problems that we really like to solve is when someone brings us, there's a specific gap in understanding some something that we can solve for and there's a data set but that we don't really know how to apply the data and those are the kinds of problems that we love so another great example of that um, also related to our oceans is a tool that we built called global fishing watch hmm. 
So this, we partnered up with two great NGOs, Oceana and Sky Truth. And what we learned was there was this great public data set called the Automatic Identification System, which is essentially every ship that's out at sea has to constantly ping out its location for safety reasons. But we were able to take that data set and, again, train a machine learning algorithm so it knew what was a fishing boat you know, as opposed to a tugboat or a cruise ship and what it actually looked like when it was fishing. And this has created um, a real-time map of all global fishing activity. And then this is being used by governments to create marine protected areas. And there's five marine protected areas that have already been created off the back of this. What do you think makes a successful partnership between, say, a government and a company in the private sector? Yeah, so an area of partnership with governments that we've been really excited about is working with cities. Mm. Uh, We know that over 70% of global emissions are coming from cities. So we have teamed up with an organization called the Global Covenant of Mayors to build a tool called the Environmental Insights Explorer that can be used by cities to do their climate action planning. Um, So this tool is available in 39 cities in Canada. 19 of them are in British Columbia. And it provides data like the solar potential of your rooftops, uh, the carbon footprint of your buildings, the emissions associated with transportation, and then that's being used to set climate targets. Now, uh, I mentioned in your introduction, you happen to be the first federal chief sustainability officer working in the White House. What was that experience like? Because you managed quite a portfolio in terms of the number of buildings and vehicles and the amount of spending that goes into a government's operations. Yeah, you know, it was a huge honor to to get to have that role. Um, And it was a tremendous opportunity. You know, the U.S. federal government is the single largest user of energy in the world. So being able to set really aggressive energy efficiency targets, renewable energy targets, um, presented a huge opportunity. But what ultimately brought me to Google was, of course, we have great opportunities to be sustainable through our operations. You know, we've been carbon neutral since 2007. But it's really the role of technology that gets me excited and this potential that we have at Google to use tools like AI, cloud computing, machine learning to drive that change. So I've been really lucky. I've loved both roles, um, but I'm very excited to be where I am now. You mentioned that, I suppose, unsettling statistic from the UN at the end of 2018, 12 years to really make a significant positive impact when it comes to climate change. Are you hopeful that with the players involved, governments involved, the technology involved, that we might get there, we might be able to solve some of these issues? I am hopeful. I'm definitely an optimist by nature. And I think as we come into 2020, you know, people are calling this the decade of action, the decisive decade. I think that there is a real sense that we need to act, that we all have a role to play, businesses, policymakers, individuals. And so I'm really excited about how we can bring technology to all of those communities to really enable their action, because we only have 10 years left. we got to get to work. Kate, a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. That's Kate Brandt, Google's sustainability officer. And you're listening to BIV Today. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to listen to our past episodes, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and on Spotify. All of our episodes are also available at BIV.com slash audio. And of course, if you want more business news, head on over to BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week.